even. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Again, this is the reading of God's word. Now let's pray. Father, thank you that we are blessed and privileged to gather ourselves in a room where there are believers in and followers of the Lord Jesus, where we have the word of God in our hands and on our screen, and we can read your word and have it ministered to our minds and our souls. So now as we turn to that part of our gathering where we seek to open up the word, open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your law, for we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. So you might know that the New Testament, the part of the Bible that's since Jesus came, the New Testament begins with four books called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all four of them begin with their own unique, differing accounts of the coming and the birth of Jesus Christ. They all start there. The one we just read, that's John's account, telling us how Jesus came to be here and John the Baptist pointed to him and all that. But all four Gospels give us accounts, and they're different. Good different, not bad different. Not bad different like, uh-oh, there are contradictions here. Good different. It's like this. If you stand on, if you and I are at an intersection and you stand on the other side of the intersection from me and there's a wreck, and they ask me, where'd the red truck come from? I say, the red truck came from my right. And they ask you, and you say, the red truck came from my left. 
Is anybody contradicting anybody? Is anybody fibbing? No, we're all giving the right story, the same story, just seen from our unique vantage points. And that's what Matthew and Mark and Luke and John do. And to put them all together, we get the composite and the whole truth that's revealed to us anyway about how Christ came. So, and I'll be brief with this, Matthew begins with a genealogy, a long genealogy. Let's trace him back to the Old Testament and see where he came from, and then goes into the birth story with these words. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. It's exciting. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 for some of the actual accounts of the coming of the Lord Jesus. And then Mark picks it up with these words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Mark, like John, puts the word beginning in his very opening phrase. John says, in the beginning, and he points back to Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. But Mark says, let me tell you about another beginning. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as it came from Christ. And he moves very quickly into the birth narratives of, of the Lord Jesus. Then, John, then Luke, rather, Luke next gives us a prologue and tells us all, hey, I studied this out carefully so you can trust what I'm about to tell you. And then he tells about how John the Baptist was foretold and how the birth of Jesus was foretold each time by the visitation of an angel. And then John comes in, and what John does is the first three are historical and biographical. John is theological. He wants to give us the theology of what's happening here that's behind and above and underneath it all. Um, John's writing is very simple. In fact, if you, if you go somewhere and take a course in New Testament Greek and you've learned enough Greek and now they want you to start translating a book, ordinarily, I think perhaps always, they start you in 1 John because it's so easy compared to, say, Hebrews or Jude or any number of other things. 1 John is easy Greek. And the Gospel of John is easy Greek, and yet he's so profound. We have to love that about him. Easy, simple, no huge vocabulary, and yet profound. He's a theologian, and yet he's the apostle who, whom Jesus loved. One of the ancient Greek manuscripts of the Gospel of John has at the heading of it, only one, but it calls him John the theologian. John is a theologian. So today we're doing the theology behind the incarnation. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we're doing, we're doing the incarnation. Here's what we're going to see from John chapter 1. We're asking some questions. Here's my first question. When was he? So John's going to address that. He starts us by telling us when we should start with Jesus. Where do we go to start our story about Jesus? Here's where he takes us, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. So there's where John starts. You want to know about Jesus Christ? He says, let me take you back to the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. He was in the beginning with God. Now, if you're at all familiar with the Bible, you know exactly what John's referring to, right? You know what time he's taking us to. What, what's he referring to? Well, creation, right? In that beginning, 
Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, and John says, let me tell you some more about that beginning. In fact, if we look at Genesis 1, we see God the Father. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's God the Father. We also see, with New Testament greater light now shining back to illuminate Genesis 1, we also see the third person of the Holy Trinity, and the Spirit of God was brooding, was hovering, if you will, over the deep. So, with New Testament eyes, we have God the Father and God the Spirit, but where's God the Son? John says, let me tell you about God the Son in that creation. He was there too. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning was the Word. Now, here's something I thought about spending a little time on, but I'm going to spend very little time on. And that is, it might help to understand, because what we're, what we're trying to do here is understand the baby in the manger. He comes in John chapter 1. John the Baptist foretells him. We have a baby in a manger. And what John wants to see is the theology that's going here so that we'll understand that is not just some baby in a manger. What he wants us to understand is that baby was and is evermore God in flesh, real humanity, fully God and fully man, Two natures perfectly commingled in one person, divine and human. None of us can understand this. This is too profound. It's a mystery. We, we can't grasp it all. But that's what he's teaching us. We're nibbling at the edge of that. We should also understand. Here's the part I want to get to that maybe I should say more, but I'm just going to say a little. So we understand that before creation... There was no matter, there was no space, and there was no time. The clock didn't start ticking until God created the heavens and the earth. So you shouldn't think of eternity and time as being like two lines, and one line's kind of short, that's time, and the other line's a lot longer, that's eternity. No, 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 no. You're ripping off eternity with that line. In eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit eternally coexisted as the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinity, and they existed supra-temporally. They existed above time. Blink, blink, like what? I can't grasp that, and we can't. They existed outside of time. They didn't have a calendar hanging on the wall in the heavens. What day is it today? There was no passing of days because for God himself, everything is an ever-present now. That sounds Zen Buddhist, but it's not. It's not. So God doesn't wear a watch and say, all right, what time is it? Okay, it's 1133. No such thing for God. So the baby in the manger... For all, sounds like passing a time, for all eternity past was God the Son existing outside of time, outside of creation. There was no universe. There was no where. There was only God. You and I, we are all temporal beings. We're little and we're beanie and we're small and we don't last long at all. What does James say? What is your life? Is it not a vapor? 
gone. Appears for a little while and it's gone. We had a beginning. We shall have an end to this mortal life, though we shall go on forever. But Jesus is eternal, no beginning and no end. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says as much. These verses aren't up there. Let me just read them for you. Revelation twenty-two thirteen. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. What if I stood before you and made that claim? Just want you all to know, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Yeah, you'd stone me or try to get me help, right? The poor guy, he's lost it. But Jesus said it, and it was true. Hebrews 13, 8, wonderful verse. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, when you read the yesterday part of that, don't imagine he's only really talking about yesterday. It's not like all I want you all to know is he was here yesterday. No, that's yesterday and any yesterday and any day before. He's always been God the Son, second person of the Holy Trinity. And he's as much God now as he ever was. The same yesterday, today, and forever. So when was he? He was in the beginning with God. Now, peeking ahead, we don't, don't put the verse up yet. But when we get to verse 14, it's going to be an amazing thing. And the word became flesh. The word flesh is the Greek word sarks. It's kai uh, sark. Oh, let me think. I've got to get the Greek here. And the word kai halagos sarks againeta. He became flesh. You think I'm speaking in tongues, didn't you? <laughs> I'm just reading you some Greek, all right? And the word became flesh. Flesh there means real human. He was not an apparition who looked like he was human. It's not that God had a big film projector and, oh, there's an image like when you're seeing Obi-Wan Kenobi or somebody. It's, it's not that. It's that he was really human. So here's the amazing thing. So the God who lives supra-temporally who created time, it's a little small thing that he holds in his hands, and, and all space and all eternity, a little th small thing he holds in his hands, also came and partook of flesh. What's the word? Partake. Partook of flesh. There we go. The God who made it inhabits it. And now he inhabits it forever. You know that, don't you? Like Jesus rose from the dead and he didn't say, it wasn't like a onesie, man, I'm tired of being in his flesh. I got to get rid of this. Zip. That was awful being a human. I don't want to be that anymore. No, he, he took on flesh and he rose a real risen human God man and stays that way forever. La, la, la. Isn't that strange? So, the baby in the manger. This is like cosmic. This is blow your mind stuff. This is John who in great simplicity is so profound. This is John chooses to introduce Jesus Christ to us in this way. It's like he's saying, I want you to know who this really is. And it's just amazing. And he entered time. 
That's when was he. Next, who was he? So John wants us to know not only when he was there first, but he also now wants to identify him. And who is he? So back to verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. That's who he is. He's the Word. And the Word was with God. That's who he is. He's the one with God. And the Word was God. That's who he is. He's the Word that was God. So he's the Word. He's with God. And he was God. First, he's the Word. I love that he's the word. Like about the same way that I love that he's the lamb. John the Baptist, behold the lamb of God. And the book of Revelation again and again and again, he's called the lamb. The sacrificial person who would shed his blood for the remission of our sins. He's the lamb. But here he's the word. That comes up again in the book of Revelation, Revelation 19, 13. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. So in the beginning, who was he? He was the Word. Why is John using that word? It's the Greek word logos. Logos. L-O-G-O-S in English. Why is John using that word? Some good scholars tell us, well, they think he got it from philosophy in his day. Like we know from way back in the 400s and 500s, there was this famous philosopher named Heraclitus. I haven't read any Heraclitus. And he used this word logos to talk about a philosophical principle of order and of knowledge. It was like his word for philosophy, and others following him used that with varying nuances of meaning. And so some scholars assume this is what John's doing. He's doing like the, the judo effect with words. It's like he's saying, oh, you like logos? I'll give you logos. Here's the real logos. Here's the real word. So some say that's what John's doing. I'm a little skeptical. Maybe, but how would we know that? It's really Easy to look back 2,000 years and imagine, oh, I know what was in John's head. No, you might not know what was in John's head. And so other scholars tell us that by the word word, they might be referring to, John might be referring to, he is the word, the communication of God to humanity, God's divine self-expression. Or better, I think, it might just mean he's the one who spoke in the beginning. When God said... Word came from God. When God said, let there be light, that was Jesus Christ participating in creation. And indeed, in Psalm 33, 6, it was by the word of the Lord that the heavens were made. Maybe that's where word comes from. Wherever it comes from, here's the thing. Who was he? He was the word. And he was the word who was with God, and yet the word who was God. Now, that's a mental tongue twister. You say, John, have you been drinking the communion wine? That sounds like a little bit of gobbledygook there, John. He was the word, and he was with, and he was with God, and he was God. How can you be with God and yet be God? See, again, this, 
we have nothing in our finite existence to prepare us for this. We can't understand. This is mystery. For sure, if I'm with Debbie, I'm not Debbie, right? But here John tells us about something that we are wholly not familiar with, terribly not prepared for. This, this divine word, this supratemporal God, the second person who became the baby in the manger, he was with God and he was God. This introduces us to the Bible's teaching about the Trinitarian nature of God. God is a being unlike any other being. He's uncreated, and he exists eternally in three equal persons, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They share the same attributes. They can all do the same works. They actually, here's a theological term for you, they interpenetrate one another. Jesus says, the Father's in me and I'm in the Father. It's not like with Jesus does something, the Father says, oh, I wonder what that was. Tell me about it. No, they all experience all the same thing, but yet three persons, one God. How do we know three persons? Because in the Bible, we're told there's God the Father and God the Son. Both are identical identified as God. We have places where the Son is speaking to the Father and speaking of the Father. We have places where the Father speaks to the Son. Same with the Son and the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Holy Spirit. So you have three persons all identified as God, and yet, I'll get Deuteronomy 6 right this time, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. There's one God eternally existing in three persons. And the best term humans have ever figured out, it doesn't even come from the Bible, but the term we picked up for this is Trinity. So you need to know, this is really what is. This is really who's there. This is, this is your creator. This is your God. He's a wholly different other level existing above and outside of time and creation and is a divine being with three persons co-equal. This is strange stuff. And not all who claim to be evangelical Christians seem to understand this. That's why it might be worth our while to spend a little time on it. There was a survey done not long ago by two fine organizations. One is called Ligonier. That's the organization that grew around the person of R.C. Sproul. And another, way called, one, another one called Lifeway Research, and that's kind of the research arm of the entire Southern Baptist Convention. And they worked together, Ligonier and Lifeway, to do a, a survey, a study among those people who in, in our nation who claim to be evangelicals. What do they believe? What do they not believe? Here are some of their findings. Almost three out of four, or 73%, agree with the claim that Jesus is the Quote, first and greatest being created by God. 73% of evangelicals say that. So what does that tell us about evangelicalism in America today? Almost half, 44%, say that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Come on, evangelicals. Let's get with the program here. Open your Bible, read John chapter 1, all the way down. All you need is 14 verses, and you got it. 
Are there any other verses that just like clearly, straight up, straight out, call Jesus God? Oh, yes, there are. I'll just take the time to share one. This is my favorite one. It's Titus 2.13. Describes us. Here we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior of ours, Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? He is the great God and Savior. Can words be more clear? So there could be absolutely no doubt he was not created. He was not and is not an angel. He's not a little lower than the Father. He's not a little less divine than the Father. He is God, and as such, he is to be worshipped and adored and loved. So the baby in the manger, John wants us to know. John says, here, I'm telling you all my nativity story, and I'm starting way back then, and I want you to know who the baby in the manger is, and he is God in the flesh, and he needs to be your savior and your sovereign. So that's when he was, and that's who he was. Here's a third question. So what did he do back then? He did a lot of things when he came in the fullness of time. He preached, he healed, he fed, he suffered, he died, he rose, he ascended. But what did he do back then? What did he do? Verse 3. Here's what he did back then. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So let's take everything made Everything created and put it in a pile over there. That's everything ever made. Jesus is not in that pile. He's not part of the made. No, everything made was made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Or Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, and for him, the baby in the manger made all things. You and me, we can't make anything from nothing. It's one of the first principles of philosophy, they say. Out of nothing, nothing comes. And yet, to use the term, ex nihilo, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working together, created from nothing. Everything that is, by a word. Try that. I can make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but the bread has to pre-exist, and the peanut butter has to pre-exist, and the strawberry preserves have to pre-exist. I have to take things that exist and I can make something out of them. He started where there was nothing. No clocks ticking, no matter, no space, no time. And he said, by a word, be, and it all came into being. You ought to be getting goosebumps right about now. 
And John wants you to know that's the baby of Christmas. That's the baby in the manger. So we looked at when he was and who he was and what he did. And now we're going to look next at this question. So what was in him? John tells us some things that were in him. So we're going to look at those. John 1 verses 4 and 5. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So take the first part of that. In him was life. Now that doesn't just mean so the baby was alive. No, what it means is in God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, there is inherent life. His life is not derived from somewhere else. Yours is. His life is from within him. This is what the theologians call it, call aseity, A-S-E-I-T-Y, aseity. Only God has aseity. That means he's not dependent on anybody else for his existence. You are entirely dependent upon him for your existence. What does Paul tell the people? In him we live and move and have our being. If he stopped being, which cannot happen, if he went away, he's gone, there's no more God, you would disappear. And the universe would disappear because it is utterly dependent on him for its existence at every second. And what we call the laws of physics are just the way he usually does things, the God of providence. And miracles are just when, hey, that's not the way he usually does things. He did it different that time. But he made all things. He is himself uncreated, and he has life in himself. But not just life. Go back to the previous verse again, please. Thank you, slide man. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And later, he's going to tell us, John 1, 9, please. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So what light is that? What, the, what John is telling us is he gives everyone life. If you have life, it's Jesus Christ giving you that life. Right now, you're alive because he is giving you life. If he stopped giving you life, you're done. That's the baby in the manger. But not only does he give you life, he also gives you light. Now, do you have any light? Yes, you do. You're an intelligent being. You can reason and think and understand God's words and think his thoughts after him. And you are made for that. I have, a, I have two studies at home. One's downstairs. I go there first, and I'm working down there from, you've heard me say, from 510 to about, let's say, 1 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then I say, I need some sunlight, man. So I have an upstairs room, and I took over our breakfast nook. Debbie let me do that. And so when, I, when I'm sitting up there working then with some daylight coming in to my mind, there are squirrels running around outside, stupid squirrels. <laughs> and they're, they're climbing up and down the screen door in front of me. <laughs> like scrit. And I look at those squirrels sometimes, and I don't really do this, but for the sake of the story, and I wonder, hmm, I wonder what they're thinking. I don't know, but I can tell you what they're not thinking. They're not thinking, there's a great being who made me. 
And I need to seek him and know him. And I derive my life from him. And he gives me my intellect and he gives it to me. No, squirrels aren't doing that. They're not made to do that. You are. The most important reason why God gives you life and light and time is that you might employ your time and and employ your light and your life to seek him. And know him and love him and bow before him and approach him through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus and find the remission of your sins and new life in Christ. That's why you're on the planet. That's what we're all here for. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Another thing he gave us, another thing that was in him is found in verse 12. John 1:12, please. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. This is what the baby in the manger did. To all who did receive him. I simply pause there and ask you, have you received him? Have you said, yes, Lord Jesus, take me. I bow before you. You are my sovereign. You are my king. You are my Lord. You are my savior. Have you received him? Well, to all who did receive him, which is the same as who believed in his name, what did he do? He gives you the right to become children of God. Now we have to explain this. So in a broad sense, the Bible identifies us all as the offspring of God. We get our life from him. Our life is derivative. In a broad sense, we're all that. But in a less broad, in a very narrow sense, some of us have been given the right to become children of God. Blood-bought children, born again, not just the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of the man, born of God If you will turn to the Lord Jesus, he gives you the right to be a child of God in that special sense. You don't naturally have that right. God does not owe any of us the least of his mercies. We are unworthy of them. But he came to give us the right to become children of God. And now we're going to go to the last question for the day. And what did he become? Verse 14. Oh, this is a good verse. And the word became flesh. That's that speaking in tongues part I did earlier. Kai halagos sarks againeta. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now there's some wonder in this. Like, we're, imagine if you were there. We're the guys who were on the planet. And he picked us to be his disciples and apostles, and we got to see him, the word. And he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Flesh means human, real human. This is that mystery again. How did God, who's above supra-creation, supra-time, supra-temporal, how did he create things and beings and stuff and then come incarnate and he stays incarnate forever he doesn't shake it off like oh that was terrible no he, he 
he intended all along from the very beginning to at the fullness of time come born of a woman and then stay that way forever. The lights, dim lights going. Mm. This is beyond us. Are there any verses that actually identify him as human? Yes. Let me read for you 1 Timothy 2, 5. There it is on the screen. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So earlier he was our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. He's God. And here he is, the man Christ Jesus. He's God and he's man. Nothing can be more clear from God's word. This is why they worshipped him. This is why you should. This is why we worship him. There's, there's no one else like this. He alone is God. This is amazing. This is incredible. You want to know him. Whom to know is everlasting life. So, I hope you enjoy family over this Christmas season. I hope you enjoy food. Not too much, because, you know, payday comes later, right? I hope you enjoy gifts. I hope you enjoy friends. hope you have good times. But way more importantly, I hope you know this Jesus, God in the flesh, as your God, your Lord, your love, your Savior. And if you don't, say what? What hoops do I have to jump through? How hard is it? Oh, it's amazing. The free gift of God is everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. You ask with a sincere heart and he bestows it upon you. Freely receive. We'll pray about that in a moment. Many of you are believers. And what John is hoping to do when he tells us his version of the, the truck coming from the right or the truck came from his version of the the story of nativity. He says, I want you to know in my story, some of the theology behind it. I want you to know that the baby is not just any baby. That's no ordinary baby. That's God and flesh in one. That's why wise men worship him, right? Yeah. So that's the sermon for today. Let's bow and pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us this time to consider these lofty and sublime matters from your word. And I pray and we pray now that any who have not yet come to the Lord Jesus and bowed the knee and confessed him as their Lord, will Father have mercy upon them, draw them to the cross, fill them with your Holy Spirit, regenerate them, make them alive, new creatures in Christ, May they repent of their sins and turn and believe on the Lord Jesus and find everlasting life. And we who are your people, as we enjoy this Christmas season and all the festivities of it, pray that you will press yet more deeply upon our hearts, a sense of what it means that he is our God, the man, Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Would you like to talk to a Cornerstone pastor? Well, one of our pastors would love to talk to you. How can you make that happen? Here's an easy way. Text pastor to the number on the screen. We'll be reaching out. Thank you.
Pastor Stan. Thank you, Steve. Good, good sermon. My favorite passage of Scripture, Gospel of John. I remember when I first got saved, I was reading through, and the light went on that Jesus is God. Well, good morning to all of you. How many of you love this time of year? Yeah, good time of year. And one of the dangers that I was going to bring before you is that we lose the awe and wonder at Christmas sometimes. But Steve helped us today, right? To be in awe of our Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has done. As we prepare for communion, if you need elements, you can find them in the back. And we welcome all that are believers in Christ to join us at the table of communion. And today we're going to be looking at a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 11. And this prophecy points to the Lord Jesus Christ coming into this world. It looks at his qualifications for the office, and it also looks at his execution of the office. So we'll begin reading in verse 1 down to verse 5 of Isaiah. He says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eye sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. It was always God's plan to redeem and we see this in this prophecy. And this prophecy highlights the faithfulness of God. He is the God of wonder. He is the God of power. He is the God of righteousness. He is the God of peace. The Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the Corinthians, said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. And we need to remember that prophecies helps us to see God's faithfulness. All that was said here has been done. The Lord Jesus did come. so We can trust him in everything and in every way. Hi there, my name's Emily. I'm a volunteer here at Corner 